Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 110. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 602. Again, that's Psalm 110 on page 602. There it's written. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the days of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we're beginning a new series. You know, we wrapped up uh, gospel fluency just before Easter, and we've had Easter, we've had an Easter cantata, and so now as uh, April showers spring into May flowers, we too are going to spring into a new sermon series, and we're going to dive in to the Psalms. And one of the reasons we do that is because Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 24 Verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Together, the Psalms offer a a collection of poetry, of songs from the heart of David and others, and within them contain prophecies of Jesus the Messiah. As we've become, as we are becoming gospel fluent people, the way we are called to read the Bible as Christ followers is with gospel lenses. That therefore, everything in the Old Testament, we are to read through the lens of Jesus. We are to see Jesus in it. For that is our everything and our world view. For you see, the Old Testament points us to Jesus Christ. And the Psalms are especially full of prophecies and promises and glimpses within the passages about Jesus. Oftentimes, they are quoted throughout the New Testament by the writers themselves, by Paul and by Peter and by James and also by Jesus. You say, that's great, Pastor. Why are we not beginning with Psalm 1? Why Psalm 110? Well, 
We begin with Psalm 110 because of all the Psalms, Psalm 110 is the most quoted of the Psalms in the New Testament. No other Psalm is referenced more times than Psalm 110. Edward Reynolds, uh, a Puritan preacher uh, back in the um, 17th century, I believe, once preached an entire series of sermons lasting months and hours at a time on Psalm 110, in which as he exposited the scripture, he was able to trace back the seeds of the Apostle Creed to Psalm 110. There's a lot to contain within these seven short verses of a psalm. It's a prophetic, messianic, royal psalm that describes a descendant of David who would not only be his son, but his Lord. In this psalm, we have three prophecies revealed to us about Jesus the Christ. The first is David prophesies about the royal office of Jesus Christ. It's there in verses 1 through 3 where it reads, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. In these verses, Christ's kingship is revealed to be twofold, eternal and hereditary. That's why genealogy from David to Jesus was mightily important for a Jewish writer writing to other Jewish people such as Matthew. See, the first of this twofold kingship is founded upon the divinity of his person. See, when we read in our Bibles and it simply says, the Lord says to my Lord, it looks like it's saying Lord twice. But if you take a closer look at exactly how it's printed within your scripture, you'll notice the first Lord is in all caps. The second Lord is only capitalized at the beginning. See, we have taken the Hebrew scriptures where they have the tetragram, the Yahweh, and transcribed it into our English as Lord, but have done so with all caps in reverence to the name of God. And the other Lord mentioned here is uh, the Hebrew word Adonai, which means someone greater than myself, a Lord. The Lord God says to my Lord Jesus. See, David here is overhearing a conversation, a conversation within the midst of the triune God. Jesus himself will go to use this passage in Matthew 22. There, the scribes and the Pharisees are, are, are trying to trap Jesus. See, they know the Messiah is to be a descendant of David, a, a son of David. Well, Jesus, in order to 
confound him, confound them, says, if David calls him Lord, how is he also his son? They were confused. They couldn't understand it. Psalm 110 is, is written a thousand years before Jesus has this conversations with the scribes and the Pharisees. But there, Jesus points it out. Jesus confirms it. Christ is both the root and the descendant of David. Jesus is king, the king of all kings, seated at the right hand of God the throne of David's seat, ruling in the midst of his enemies until all of his enemies become his footstool. The second prophecy we find here in Psalm 110 that David points out is about Jesus as priest. In verse 4, David hears in this conversation that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And in saying this, the prophecy about Jesus becomes not only is he king, but he is also priest. King and priest. A real priest. One who makes atonement. One who intercedes and blesses. One who needs no successor. As king, he can grant the very blessings he confers and accept the atonement in which he offers. In Hebrews chapter 7, the author dives deep into verse 4 from Psalm 110. The entire chapter is built upon this song. And there in verses 24 and 25, he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus both king and priest. And it's awesome because there has never been a king of Israel or Judah that was both king and priest. Only the Messiah would fulfill both offices. Only Jesus. And the final prophecy contained within this psalm points to Jesus as the righteous judge, king, priest, and judge. Beginning in verse 5, it's written, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Jesus as righteous judge. We get to this point and we get a bit squirmy. 
And so we must admit talking about judgment, seeing ourselves going and standing before the judge is not something we desire, nor do we desire to hear about it. See, we know the dark recesses of our own soul. We've made it dark there for a reason. We don't want to be exposed by the light. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, Jesus declares, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So the day of judgment will come. It's promised everyone will face and stand before Jesus, the righteous judge. But for us, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for we who celebrate the Messiah, we are not to fear that judgment, but we are to welcome it. Because on that day of judgment, we are not being judged on our own merits and our own sins, but because of the sufficient work of Christ, of his atonement through his blood on the cross. We are judged on Jesus' righteousness. And so as we look at this psalm and we see this prophecy fulfilled in Jesus as king and priest and judge, and when we squirmed a little bit about the dark recesses of our own soul, the question lays before us, what part of our lives are we refusing to let Jesus be Lord over? There's this great story about Queen Victoria of England who ruled during the 1800s. And she had this friend, uh, a, a dean at the university, Frederick Farrar. And he told of this conversation he once had with Queen Victoria after she had heard a sermon preached by one of the chaplains. It was a sermon preached on the second coming of Jesus. And she said to her friend, Oh, Dean Farrar, how I wish the Lord would come during my lifetime. When he asked her why she desired this, her countenance brightened, he says. And with deep emotion, she replied, Because I would love to lay my crown at his blessed feet in reverent adoration. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.